In today's episode, a woman brings me to my knees in a parking lot. No, not physically, just emotionally, which is worse. An elevator ride teaches me about prayer. We find out what it really means when the Bible says, God loves us. And I tell a story about how someone else's prayer changed me. All on the way to answering the question, what's up with thoughts and prayers? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. I graduated from seminary, and I was newly ordained, and I just started working as the third and by far youngest clergy at the downtown church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. On one single fateful day, I had two experiences that were profoundly formative for me. The first came as I was walking across the parking lot. I was wearing a dark suit, a black shirt with a clerical collar, so I was easily identifiable as an ordained minister. A woman stopped me as I was making my way across the parking lot, and she said, Excuse me, are you a minister? Now, if you'd seen me at that moment, I'm sure, right as she asked the question, I stood up a little straighter. I tried to speak in a deep and authoritative voice, and I attempted to offer her a demeanor suitable for, you know, a superhero. Why, yes. Yes, I am, I answered, feeling proud to be recognized as the authority figure that I now had become. She went on to say, I think that is wonderful. I just think it's great when the church ordains young people. You know, last Sunday, my church ordained a 12-year-old. Suddenly, all of the air went out of my self-inflated balloon. I just got lumped in with an ordained sixth grader, who, for all I knew, was probably better at this than me. Later that day, I'm riding in a hospital elevator on my way to visit a parishioner who was going to have surgery that day. A woman climbs on the elevator with me and begins to look at me very carefully. She finally says, Excuse me, are you a minister? This time I was ready. I wasn't puffed up or feeling proud. I was, to be honest, stealing myself for whatever humiliating comment she might have to say to me. Yes. Yes, I am, I answered. Oh, that, that's nice, she said. I'm on my way to visit my father. He just had a heart attack. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, I said. And then I told her I hoped her father made a full recovery. And the door opened and she began to get off on her floor. And then she turned back. She looked at me and she said, His name is Robert. Please say a prayer for him. And I said, I will. She said, thank you. And she was gone. I rode to the next floor, got off of the elevator, and headed towards my parishioner's hospital room. Now, I don't remember anything about the person I visited that day, but I do remember several days later going back to visit the same parishioner after his surgery because he was still in the hospital. And as I stepped onto the elevator to go see him, I remembered the woman from several days before and her telling me of her father who'd had a heart attack. I wondered how Robert was doing, and and then it dawned on me. I had never prayed for Robert. 
I had that awful sinking feeling in my gut, and I had a moment of crisis right there on the elevator. I told her I would pray, and, and I never had. But, but then I began to think about it. In the end, when all said and done, did, did that really matter if I said a formal prayer? Because I have no doubt that God was there in the elevator with us for and during our conversation. God heard the request. And I'm pretty sure if I failed to actually say the prayer, I am sure that God was no less likely to answer the need of her prayer request with or without my participation. So was my actual prayer really necessary? To answer the question, I want to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, beginning at the 43rd verse. And it says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray to those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. First, let me say that when we talk about the word love in Scripture, we struggle modern readers do because we interpret it through the lens of the way we use the word today. Love is an emotion word. It means an intense feeling of deep affection, or at least that's what we mean when we use it. But when the word is used in Scripture, it's not so much a word of feeling, but a word of commitment. When the Bible tells us that God loves us, what I think we're really supposed to understand is that he is committed to us and is going to remain a part of our lives no matter what. Now, I'm sure God feels affection, but when Scripture tells us that God so loved the world, it means that he was so committed to the world. And that divine love is unwavering commitment. So, we're supposed to commit ourselves to our enemies, to remain a part of their lives. Now, I need to say an aside here. I think God, for our purpose, to the modern reader, is talking about enemies in the everyday sense. The neighbor who trimmed back your hedge without permission and just infuriated you because he won't even apologize. The boss who gave your office space to someone else on staff without even telling you about it. The person at the gym who works out next to you but drives you crazy by yelling every time he exerts himself. These are the everyday enemies we have in our lives, and most of us have some of these that we spend way too much time focusing on, ruminating about. But, and I want to be clear here, I want to say if you are being victimized, that's something different. No, the rude server at the restaurant, even though you want to think of it that way, is not victimizing you. I want to be specific here. If you're being sexually abused by someone, or if you're being physically abused by someone, then you're in a different category than what I'm talking about here. You need to take care of yourself. I want to remind you of Jesus' statement in the 10th chapter of John. Jesus says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. I believe that God calls us to stay in relationship with the people we have difficulty with, but I want to be clear that I don't believe that to be true of situations in which we are experiencing abuse. Okay, that's just my aside for people who are hearing this who are in that situation. But back to the passage from Matthew. 
When life is difficult and not going the way we want, Scripture commends love and prayer. Remember, love is not a feeling, it's a commitment to the relationship. Now, you could even think of this as thought and prayer. Now, I don't think for a minute that if I stay in a relationship with everyone who I perceived has wronged me in some way, or if I pray for them, that I will somehow make them change. And if I did believe then, that that would be kind of creepy, don't you think? That would be little more than Christianity's version of a voodoo doll, where I have the power to change you to who I want you to be from afar. And and having said that, I literally know nothing about voodoo dolls except what I've seen in movies. So take that for what it's worth. Instead, I believe that love and prayer, they're powerful ways to change. Yep, you guessed it. It's not the first time you've heard this from me. Me. Do I believe that prayer has the power to change the world? Yes. Yes, I do. And I believe that prayer has the power to change the person who prays in remarkable and dramatic ways. So now back to the person in the elevator and her father for whom I never prayed. Okay, that isn't accurate. I did eventually pray for him. And I decided that it did make a great deal of difference whether or not I said that prayer. It matters because, first of all, I said I would pray. And from that day forward, I was always very intentional about making sure I followed through on every commitment to pray, even if it meant that I stopped what I was doing and prayed right then and there for whatever I said I would in the moment. And it matters because the power of prayer goes beyond the person for whom I'm praying. It has the power to shape me, and I actually believe the world around me in ways that I don't even fully understand. I remember shortly after I graduated from seminary, I went to visit a seminary classmate named John, and he was at that moment a chaplain at a nearby university. In his small study, he had a whiteboard on the wall next to his desk, and listed on the whiteboard were all sorts of unrelated things that I didn't immediately understand. They didn't make sense to me. And I asked him about it, and he said, oh, that's my prayer board. When somebody asks me for prayer or when I decide to pray for something, it goes up there so I make sure to be aware of the need and keep it as a part of my prayers. So that literally was his thought and his prayer board. Now, I'll share with you now my earliest memory of prayer. No, it wasn't church, but it was from my mother. When I was very little and riding around in the car with my mother as she did her errands for the day, If an ambulance passed with a siren or a light on, my mother always said a very quick prayer out loud for the person in the ambulance. To this day, every time I see an ambulance, I say a prayer for the person. Her ritual of prayer changed the world in an unexpected way. It changed me. And the prayer wasn't even for me. That's the power of prayer. Prayer has a way of reaching out beyond the person saying the prayer, beyond sometimes even the person for who the prayer was intended to change the world in unexpected ways. So now to the question, what's the deal with thoughts and prayers? When we experience a tragedy in our society and there are people who are grieving or suffering, then a politician often stands up at a press conference and says, 
Those people, they are in our thoughts and prayers. The politician is immediately ridiculed because thoughts and prayers are, as some have said, well, they're empty and meaningless gestures. But I would offer an alternate interpretation. These moments are not meaningless because thoughts and prayers are toothless offerings, but they're meaningless because the person who says it is not likely to spend a single moment in thought nor prayer after having made the comment. I really think the follow-up question to a politician or any public figure saying someone who is suffering is in their thoughts and prayers is, wow, tell us about those thoughts and prayers. What are they focusing on? What are they seeking? What are you asking God for in your thoughts and your prayers? It's not that focusing on thoughts and prayers causes us to be a people devoid of action. The real issue is that we frequently talk about thought and about prayer, and then we do neither. If we, in response to a crisis, spent more real, honest time in thought and prayer, I have no doubt the certain outcome would be that we would find that our thoughts and our prayers would lead to meaningful and thoughtful, powerful action. Thoughts and prayers were never intended to be the ultimate response. They were always intended to be the catalyst that leads to life and world-changing action. That's all for today. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you get notified of future episodes. Also, you can find me on Facebook and YouTube. Just search for SkyPilot FaithQuest. And if you'd like to get in touch with me by email, my email address is dan at skypilot.zone. And on your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot FaithQuest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.